Hello, and welcome to Eyes on Success, a weekly program covering a wide variety of topics of interest to people with vision loss. I'm Nancy Goodman Torpy. And I'm Pete Torpy. You know, one night we took Angelina Jolie to dinner when I was taking my mom to the Academy Awards. I mean, my mom, when she talks about that, she still cries when she's telling people that story, saying that it was the most incredible thing she ever did until you ask her about the time I took her to see the Pope, which was also the most incredible thing she ever did. And those are just two of the stories that you'll read about in today's guest memoirs if you read the book. Over the years, John Robert Wiltkin developed many complications from childhood diabetes, including blindness, amputation of a limb, and kidney failure. Despite these setbacks, he soldiered on to become a world-renowned interior designer. We'll talk with John about his experiences and his newly released memoir, The Candy in My Pocket. But first for our tip of the week. This week's tip comes from John Robert Wiltkin. My tip. Life is about choices, and you can either choose to be happy or choose to be unhappy. It's like, do I turn left or do I turn right? I have always found it easier to choose to be happy. And I really think that it is a matter of choice and that we all need to practice and learn how to do exactly that. And you'll certainly learn what John is talking about when you read his book about the choices that he made that despite having a relatively difficult life with diabetes, he really did lead a happy life and made choices that were appropriate for himself. Support for Eyes on Success is provided by APHConnectCenter.org, empowering people toward independence and success by providing blogs, information, and resources for individuals of all ages who are blind or visually impaired. Information and referral line are at 1-800-232-5463. You are listening to Eyes on Success. Success. Let's start by meeting John and learning a little bit about his career as an interior designer, which was the subject of an earlier episode of Eyes on Success. Well, John, you've been with us once before, and it was a really fun interview. But for our listeners who didn't hear you before, maybe you can tell us who you are and what you do these days. I am John Robert Wilkin. Um, I am so happy to be back with you guys. It's really an honor. Thank you for that. I um, worked as an interior designer for 40 years. And during part of that tenure, I was visually impaired. I had retinopathy. And so I went through like four, four and a half years of not being able to see while I was trying to be an interior designer. Um, Fortunately, uh, with a bunch of laser work and some vitrectomies and some surgeries, I did get the vision back in one eye. I have about 17% vision in that eye, and I worked that way for the tenure of my career. 
And for people who want to learn how you did that as an interior designer with low and changing vision, they can listen to the previous episode in which we interviewed you. That was fascinating. Yeah, and it was, I don't want to say it was fun to recall all that, but um, it's even hard for me sometimes to believe that that were the circumstances. Uh, you know, I think, oh my God, how did I do that? But I think you you do what you have to do in order to survive. And that's what I had to do to survive. And I just kept going. And you actually faked it very well because many of your clients didn't even realize you had a visual impairment, did they? Well, no, of course not. How can you tell a potential new client, well, I could do a great job for you, but I'm, I'm blind. I can't see anything. I, I mean, it would be really hard to get jobs that way. And Fortunately, I had a great um, partner who worked with me at that time, and she and I just had this routine, and we were able to fake it till you make it. (laughs) Ultimately, that's what happened. I worked all around the world. I won 44 awards. Yeah, it it was a great run. Support for Eyes on Success is made possible in part by our corporate partners. Find out more about partnership opportunities by sending an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net. This week's focus topic is John Robert Wiltgen's experiences dealing with childhood diabetes and his newly released memoir, The Candy in My Pocket. Well, today we're here to talk about your new book. Now that you're retired, you have time to write books, apparently. Your new book, The Candy in My Pocket, and we didn't discuss this yet, but tell people why you named it The Candy in My Pocket. I think that most type 1 diabetics could guess why I named it that, and it was all about, you know, when you experienced a low blood sugar, what did you do? I mean, either you drank juice or you... If you preferred a candy bar, which I did, <laughs> you had something in your pocket that was sweet and good and and not allowed when your sugar was normal or running a little high. So that's why I named it The Candy in My Pocket. You know, it was a very interesting book to read because on the one hand, you read the book and you think, boy, this is the poster person for how you can live with type 1 diabetes because you accomplished a whole lot in your life. You had a lot of fun. You visited all around the world, did amazing things, and have great stories in the book. On the other hand, you're the anti-person for being the poster child for type 1 diabetes because you didn't treat it very well throughout your whole life starting as a child, and it led to many complications. That's absolutely true. And I, you know, I, when people say you could be the poster child, I like cringe. Yes, I'm a survivor. I'm like a cockroach. I'm hard to kill. <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't do all the things you were supposed to do. Although I, I truly believe that most children and and particularly once you reach your teenage ages as a type one diabetic, you rebel and you don't want to be a diabetic and you don't want to have to do the things a diabetic is supposed to do. And, and so you don't. And I I have read so many comments on different 
diabetic chat lines from parents worrying about their kids not doing what they're supposed to do. And I just, you know, I try to tell them, hey, that was me when I was, you know, that old years ago. And I did all that. And 54 years as a diabetic, I'm still here. And in this day and age, of course, treating type 1 diabetes is much easier than it was when I grew up. There was not nearly as much known about controlling your blood glucose. At that time, we were peeing in a cup and getting an eyedropper and taking 25 drops of urine and putting it in a test tube and then putting a blue pill in there and it would turn different colors. It was very uh, inaccurate in its diagnosis of where your glucose in your urine was, which didn't really tell you the most valuable information, which came later when blood glucose testing machines were were created. Just a couple of months ago, we did an episode with two blind diabetics Mm -hmm. talking about the accessibility of some of this durable medical equipment and all of the testing devices and, you know, some of the improvements that have been made since, like you were saying, over 50 years ago. Yeah. um, You know, I'm today wearing a T-Slim pump, which talks to my Dexcom continuous glucose monitor. And so if I don't give myself a bolus that is enough to cover the food that I've eaten, my pump will, um, because of the algorithms that are programmed into it, my pump will add additional insulin to uh, the delivery so that I'm getting the amount that is needed. On the other hand, if my blood sugar is quickly going south to becoming too low, then it will shut off the delivery of the insulin and send me these notices that your sugar is low, you need to get something, get something fast, blah, 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 you know. So it, oh my God, it's so different and so much better. My hemoglobin A1Cs today are, oh my God, you know, 6.5, which is really awesome for someone that has been through all of the problems that I have over the years. And when you talk about all of the problems you've been through, just to give people an appreciation, besides the blindness, you've had serious problems through your life with diabetes. I've had almost all the complications that you can have. In addition to the retinopathy, then I had cataracts at a very early age. Most people don't get them until they're in their 50s or 60s, and I had them in my 20s. Um, Then I had a kidney transplant when I was 26 years old, and 35 years later, I still have that kidney, which is a miracle. Um, Then I started having heart attacks. I had three heart attacks in my early 30s. And then after that, I was fighting cellulitis and osteomyelitis, which resulted in me having my leg chopped off below the knee. And then there were things like skin cancer, and I became more susceptible to pneumonias because of the drugs I was taking for the kidney transplant. And so I had a terrible bout of pneumonia where nobody expected me to live through it. Um, because it was a combination of multiple different kinds of uh, pneumonias. And I was in intensive care for like 18, 19 days with that. And then after that, I had COVID. So, and because I had COVID and the pneumonias, I now also have pulmonary fibrosis. I mean, it just, 
and lots of skin cancer. You must be a real fighter because as you read this book, it's just incredible to read about how you soldier through all of these issues and still manage to have a career that spanned around the world as a very high-end interior designer. There were some tough times there, even on some of your jobs. Oh, my God. Passing out on jobs in front of my clients was <laughs> really the toughest. And at times I would feel that it was like the most embarrassing thing that could happen to me. But it's what happens to type 1 diabetics and it cannot always be prevented. You know, the thing is that my business was the greatest distraction I had from the personal problems that I was experiencing. And I was so fortunate to be able to own my own business because I could go home when I didn't feel good. And there were times when I did that. I could work late if I needed to. I worked weekends when I had to. I loved what I did. I loved the people that worked with me in my office. And I loved my clients, many of whom I still speak with today, and I've been retired for five years. So I think that that's a real honor to have developed these relationships that have not gone away. You also had very supportive assistants that helped you not only hide your vision problems, but get you through some of these issues with your diabetes and passing out, et cetera. Oh, my God. Yeah. That, I mean, through the entire time that I was in this business, I was so lucky to have the staff that I did at the time. And it changed. I mean, some people stayed with me 12 years. Some people stayed seven years. Some people stayed two months. <laughs> and at different times in my career, there was always someone from my family who worked with me also. My mom worked with me for 17 years, which was, oh, my God, I was so grateful for that because we got to have lunch together almost every day. And I don't know how many people can say that about the relationship with their parent, you know. Um, but then I had an aunt who worked for me and um, a sister who worked for me and a bunch of nieces who worked for me. So it was truly what you would call a family business. Although then I also had other people who worked as well, um, people from all around the world. My office was like the United Nations. I mean, half the time I didn't understand what these people were saying when I walked into the drafting room. You mentioned that um, you hid your blindness from many of your clients. And when we last talked, I asked you what assistive devices you use, like a cane to get around or maybe large print to read. Now that you're not working anymore and you don't have to hide your vision issues, have you changed the type of way you lead your life in terms of assistive devices? Not really. Um, I'm German and I'm a Leo, so I'm quite stubborn. Everyone keeps telling me you should use a cane, but then I can't carry all this stuff that I still find myself walking around with. And I guess I'm just stubborn in that regard. I do buy books that are printed in a large scale in order for me to read them. Um, or I read them on the computer and I blow them up to what is an obnoxious scale, but, but makes it much more easy for me to read. And I'm married. My husband does so much for me, and uh, I'm really lucky to be in the relationship that I am in. It seems that these days, especially, there's so much available in audio, not just books, but, mm -hmm. you know, access to your smartphone and your computer. Do you use any audio? 
I do um, on my computer. I let it read to me my emails, my book. When I'm editing it, I'm listening to this strange computer voice read it back to me. And then I'm like, okay, I don't like the way that sounds. And I go back in and I edit it based on what I've heard. And I also ordered over this last six months, several copies, uh, preliminary copies of the book. When you see it in print, it looks so much different than it does when it's in this huge print on your computer screen. And so a lot of comments have gone away. A lot of spelling errors have been fixed. Um, some grammar errors have been also fixed. And since it's taken me so long to write my book, some things have changed and needed to be wrapped up differently. For instance, um, my client in Africa is now running for president of Nigeria. And so I just thought that I should stick that in where I was kind of finished writing about him. So things like that. So talking about your book, you know, I read through it. There are so many fun stories. It's hard to pick out one that's kind of representative of the book. Do you have a favorite? I like my stories about uh, the chapter is called Nobody Walks in L.A. And um, it's about the time that I spent out in L.A. trying to get work there and um, the people that I met and, and the experiences that I had, even though I spent tons of money trying to promote my services there, I never got a job out there until I left LA. But, but I, you know, my interactions with um, Sean Penn and his wife, Robin, and with Tim Hutton. And, uh, you know, one night we took Angelina Jolie to dinner when I was taking my mom to the Academy Awards. I mean, my mom, when she talks about that, she still cries when she's telling people that story, saying that it was the most incredible thing she ever did until you ask her about the time I took her to see the Pope, which was also the most incredible thing she ever did. Yeah, I really like that chapter. I like being able to include that in this book. And you've also worked in Africa. You've had some fun stories from there. I, yeah, and do you know what? I will say I loved it there. I loved the fact that the culture was so very different from what we know the American culture to be like. And everything that we not everything, but most things that we think about Africa come to us by way of the news. And I just think that it's distorted and it doesn't really give you an accurate um, impression of, of what people's life there is really like. I mean, they have highways and toll booths and, and buses that transport people from one side of town to the other. And I don't want to say high rises, but they have mid rises. The reason they don't have high rises is because the electricity goes out like four times a day. And if you have to walk up or down 12 flights of stairs, that's about as much as they want to, to do, you know. Um, also, many of the Nigerian families that I met there were mixed cultures, uh, a, a Muslim male would be married to a Christian woman. And in their families, all the daughters would be raised Christian and the sons would be raised Muslim. And that was, there was a lot of people I met like that. And again, based on what I had 
previously learned from the news and the newspapers and whatever, that idea just never, I just never thought that that would be the case there. You certainly go through a lot of stories like that in the book. It's just amazing to to read through all these things that had happened to one man. It's a very full life. I wouldn't trade it for anything. You know, do I regret being a diabetic? No, I think that I chose that before I ever got to this planet. And um, there was things that I needed to learn. I, I think that I've, oh my God, I've learned so much about um, not only caring for myself, but caring for others. Yeah, I, it, I've been blessed. I've been really fortunate. And that positive attitude shows through. You know, there's so many people, something bad happens to them, and they're just, oh, why me? But to be able to turn it around and say, wow, I got some positives out of the negatives that happen, that's terrific. Uh, yeah, I I try to, you know, the thing is, people don't want to really be around other people who are unhappy and negative if you want to have some sort of a social life, you have to choose to be happy and then be happy. And it just makes the possibilities that much greater. Now that you've been retired for several years, John, what keeps you busy besides writing your book? Do you miss working in interior design? Actually, I'm not totally retired from that. There are a few people whom even after I retired, asked me to help them with things. And so I have maintained um, a small body of work all this time. But let's talk about writing a book. Oh, my God. It, it was harder than being an interior designer between editing and grammar checks and spelling and content. And when I first wrote this book, it started out being over 160,000 words. And I was told by my editor at that time that, my book could not be more than 85,000 words. So I had to cut half the story out. Well, that was like devastating because I liked everything that I put in there. It took more time to do the editing, just editing the content than it did writing the entire 160,000 words. Uh, and, and then after that, you know, there was a great deal of time spent grammar checking, spell checking, uh, the way everything that was in there was written. Did I like the way it sounded? Did I want to rewrite it? And, oh my God, there's probably 15 or 18 edits that I've been through on a book that is like 365 pages before I added photos. Now I'm starting to add photos. It was supposed to go to print this week. And I'm like, you know what? I'm not happy with the photos that I added. I need to add more. To, that, to help tell the story. So you mentioned adding photos, but you also mentioned that you have very little vision. How have you been able to do that? Computer. I mean, big pictures that take up. My computer screen is the size of a 32-inch television. It's enormous. So if I blow up a picture and it's backlit, that I can do. I can see that. And I, and I can even take a color photograph and change it to black and white and and then um, I've hired a book interior designer. There is such a thing. I never knew that. But they're doing the formatting for the way the chapter titles look. And 
the arrangement of the photographs and and so I, I just send all this stuff to them. They put it together and send it back for me to review. And Stephen helps with the reviews. Um, he's more particular about the commas than I am. <laughs> Considering you had to cut the content in half, should we expect a volume two sometime? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I don't know that. That's, that's a great question. Um, I would like to write more. And if I have the time to do that, I have some ideas. I had great clients that had great histories and not that I would use their names. I would do kind of mystery stories, but I could use some of these characters and weave them into a a tale that is different than their own, but their character could influence the writing. With some modifications, it would make a great movie. Uh, Yes, that's true, and that's hopeful, and I have a bunch of copies going out to people in that business. We'll see what comes from that. Well, we'll keep our eyes open. You are listening to Eyes on Success. Success, 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 success. Now for this week's final item, how to learn more about John Robert Wilkins' life and work how to get his new memoir, and how to contact him. This book was certainly a fun read, John, and I was hoping that you could remind people of the name of the book and where people can get it if they want to find it for themselves. The title of the book is The Candy in My Pocket, and it is available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Barbara's Bookstore, and almost any local bookstore across the company can order it for anyone who's interested in obtaining a copy. Um, Also, so that everybody knows, a portion of the profits that are made from this book are being donated to the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation. That's very generous of you. And how about your own website? I assume you have your own website where people can find out more about you and read about some of your life? I have several websites. So people can go for this. People can go to www thecandyinmypocket.com. They can also go to www.jrwdesign.com. And that's mostly about your interior design career. Yes, yes. And I've been to that website. There are some gorgeous photographs of designs that you've done. Yeah, thank you. I'm really proud of the collection of photos because it's very diverse, the body of my work. And of course, that was driven by my clients and what they expressed as to what they wanted and how they felt their home should look. So that's why everything is so different. If somebody wanted to contact you, how would they do that? They would use my email, john, J-O-H-N, at the candy in my pocket. And as usual, you can find all of that contact information in the show notes associated with this episode at www.eyesonsuccess.net. We'll also have a link to the previous episode in which we interviewed John so you can hear some more of his fun stories.
That's it for show number 2225. Next week on Eyes on Success, we'll be talking about the National Coding Symposium and STEM Camp from APH. The fields of computers and STEM offer excellent career opportunities for visually impaired people. We'll talk with Leanne Grillot, Outreach Director at the American Printing House, about some of APH's ongoing programs to inspire interest in these fields, make people aware of the opportunities, and help them connect with mentors. And if you or someone you know is interested in STEM, computer science, programming, etc., you'll want to listen to that show to learn about their resources. So we hope we'll catch you next week for that episode. You've been listening to Eyes on Success, hosted and produced by Nancy Goodman-Torpy and Peter Torpy. You can access the full archive of previous shows, subscribe to the podcast, and much more by going to our website, www.eyesonsuccess.net. If you have questions about anything you've heard on the show or have suggestions for future shows, send an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net. Thank you for listening and have a nice day.